0: Who am I? Okay. Now think about it. This is Columbia University. It's an Ivy League school. It's a hub for training the intellectual elite, one of the more respected educational institutions in academia. And these business students are paying big dollars to get the answers to that question of who am I? Okay. Now this one example illustrates for us that that people around us are begging for answers to these kinds of questions. And it's not just people in this room, not just people in the church, Not just people who care about spiritual things, but everybody wants to know, who am I? And why is this? Well, it's because we are God's image bearers and we seek to understand things. Uh, We have knowing capabilities. We seek to understand the world and interpret life as we know it. We like explanations and purposes because we are inherently explainers made with a purpose. We are interpreters at heart. However, I hope... Uh, we all will come to a different conclusion than Deepak came to, in that uh, I'm not going to tell you that the answer to this question is for you to turn your analytical skills inward and, and, you know, look inside your heart to determine who you are, but rather I'm going to suggest that there's a better way to find the answer to this question, and that is to look to God's Word. And so um, that is what we are going to do uh, this morning. Before we jump into the Word, there's a couple things that I want us to, to look at, um, a couple things that I hope that we will see as we study this doctrine. And the first is that um, I hope we'll be led to worship. So as we consider the fact that God created us in His image, um, that we would stand in awe of the Creator, that we would um, consider what it means to be made in His likeness, and that we would marvel and be amazed at the fact that God has made us to be many reflections of who He is. Um, and as we'll see, we're not only made to uh, reflect God, we're also made to represent Him in this world. Um, and that's no small calling. That's a high calling, in fact, one with dignity and goodness, with sanctity and meaning. The other thing that I hope that we'll come away with is a, a, just a fresh understanding of just how relevant this doctrine is. Okay? Uh, it's foundational to the way that we think about ourselves and the world around us, about our families, our churches, our communities, where we work, um, our neighborhoods, um, yeah, just the way that we consider the fact that everyone around us is made in God's image should impact the way that we not only reflect God to others, but how we treat those made in His image. Um, just a, I mean, you, you don't have to go very far looking in the news to see ways in which human beings treat other human beings inhumanely, if you will, right? that we treat them as though they don't actually represent or reflect God in this world. Um, so I pray that, that we would see just how relevant this is. All right, so we're going to begin this lesson where where God begins our story in Genesis one. So if you've if you've been in Foundations the last few weeks, you probably um, have worn out that section of your Bible. That's not a bad thing, um, but we're gonna we're gonna go there again. And so while we go to Genesis chapter one, one of the things that, that I want us to look for and and listen for and pay attention to are some some literary cues, structures, and repeated words, um, and ask what is it that God is emphasizing here. And so what we're going to do is I'm going to read through. Uh, the first 25 verses, Uh, but I'd love to have a volunteer read for us Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 31. Who'd like to do that for us? Did I see a hand? All right. All right. So Garrett's going to do that. All right. So I'll begin. I'll read through verse uh, 25, and then Garrett, you'll, you'll finish that out for us. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. That's the timer that says I'm done, right? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas. So we see in Genesis chapter 1, God created everything that we see, okay? All that we know, all the plants, the animals, the seas, the land, stars, the moon, the sun. But in verses 26 through 31, he specifically describes the creation of mankind. So as he, as he describes that, as he, as he talks about how man was created, how, how is man described in that passage? created in an hour. And who's speaking? God. God's right? So we are created in God's image, in his likeness. So that brings us to the, uh, the second point in our outline, uh, point number two, the image of God in man. Um, and that's kind of where I want us to spend a, a good portion of our time this morning. Um, we are created in the image of God. And one of the questions that often comes up as we talk about the, uh, being created in God's image is, are we still uh, in God's image today? And there's a reason why we ask that question is because we can't help but notice the difference between the end of Genesis chapter 2 and right now. So what's different between the end of Genesis 2 and right now? Anybody know? The fall. The fall. Who said that? Amen. That is right, right? Genesis chapter 3 describes the fall of mankind into sin, rebellion against God. Um, often if you're reading through a read through the Bible in a year reading plan, you don't have to get very far if you begin in the beginning of Genesis to realize that the train jumps the track, right? Mankind is, is uh, tempted to rebel against God, and we see that sin enters the world through that sin, or through that, that rebellion against God. Um, in Genesis one thirty one, God declares that at the conclusion of the creation of the world and everything in it, that everything was what? It was very good, right? It was very good. But as we read through chapter 3, we see that once what was once very good now becomes marred with sin. And naturally we wonder um, if the image in which man was created remains because of sin. So a question we would ask is, is there any evidence that we can point to that shows that man is still in God's image? Um, so two passages come to mind. Uh, The first is Genesis chapter 9, verse 6. Would somebody like to read that for us? Whoever gets there first, go ahead and read out loud. He said 9-6.
2: 9-6. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his
0: own image. Amen. Yeah, and so the context around Genesis 9-6 is that this is uh, life in a post-flood world, right? So God is speaking to Noah, um, and he's, he's giving him some instructions. Genesis 6, 5 tells us that every intention of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil continually. That's quite uh, an indictment against mankind by God. Um, things were pretty bad, and so God decided he was going to flood the earth to cleanse it of, the, of that wickedness. But at that time, he told Noah, I want you to build an ark, and in the ark, he was going to have two of every kind of animal, and then all of Noah's immediate family would be preserved through the flood. And when the water subsided, that family would be responsible for repopulating the earth. Um, but in Genesis 9, he, he gives some instructions to Noah. Um, and, and notice, even at this point, God confirms that man is created in his image. Okay, so this is after sin had entered the world. In fact, after sin had gotten so bad. Um, that the Lord decided it was good to flood the earth, and yet He confirms that even at this point, God has made man in His own image. Right? A, a New Testament example, something that we're going to hear about later on today um, during during the sermon, is, comes from James three nine. James three nine tells us this: "This is with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God." <clears throat> and so the context here is that. James is talking about how people use their words, and specifically how we use our tongues, right? Um, To either bless or curse whom? Well, in this passage, he talks about people who are made in the likeness of God. He's talking about image bearers. So even in the New Testament, we see evidence that mankind, even though we are sinful, are yet created in the image of God. And so, you know, when man falls in Genesis 3, a lot goes wrong. Um, However, Scripture forbids us from ever saying that the image of God is destroyed in mankind. It's not destroyed, rather it's distorted. Uh, It's not annihilated, but it's massively perverted. So now that we've established that that we are still in God's image, what exactly does that mean about us and for us? Uh, So as we learned last week and as we read this morning, we see that man is altogether distinct, right? There are qualitative differences between our makeup and other living things. We're not like the fish or the birds or the livestock that inhabit the earth, nor are we like the insects that crawl on the ground or the wild beasts that fill our planet. And God not, not only defines humans in terms of what they are not, but also in terms of what they are. So if you were to go back and look at Genesis 1 again, if you notice on day 5, in the beginning of day 6, God created all of these living creatures according to their own kinds. Right? They were not patterned after any being in heaven. They weren't patterned after God himself. They were unique. They're distinct from mankind. Yet when God describes how mankind is created, he tells us that we are created in his image, okay? In his likeness. And that's why we affirm that humanity is not only distinct, but dignified, that is humans are made in God's likeness. And man is dignified because he was created to reflect and represent God. We're going to talk about those two things here in just a second. We were created to reflect and represent God. So if we look at uh, letter B in your outline, made to reflect God, let's talk about that here for just a second. So first, man was created to reflect God, to mirror him. And as a, a mirror reflects, so man should reflect God. And when one looks at a human being, one ought to see him or her in them, a, a certain reflection of God. Another way of putting this is to say that in man, God is to become visible on earth. Other creatures and even the heavens declare the glory of God, but only in man does God become visible. Now, so here's, here's an example you may have heard of before. Um, in ancient times, it was not uncommon for kings to set up a statue of themselves at the boundary of their land. And um, these statues were to serve as reminders that you're now in the king's land, and you're not in your own. And that statue is to reflect the king in his majesty and royalty. And it's the same way with us. Okay, we are meant to be many images of the true king, meant to reflect his glory and majesty, imaging him to others. Uh, this idea is tied in with the prohibition of image-making in the Old Testament. If you look back at Exodus chapter 20, verse 4, Um, The reason God does not want his creatures to make images of him is because he has already created an image of himself, a living, walking, talking image. God's making the point that if we wish to see what God is like, we ought to look no further than his most distinguished creature, mankind. This means that when man is what he ought to be, uh, others should be able to look at him and see something of God in him. So how might we apply this truth? What might it look like practically? Well, first, uh, as reflections of God, um, we have the ability to speak and communicate. Uh, This is certainly a reflection of God because he reveals himself in Scripture as a speech agent. Uh, We are like God as communicating beings. Much more when we speak, we're supposed to speak the truth and not lies because when we lie, we actually lie about who God is. Another way is... um, We're we're to be characterized by grace because our God is the God of all grace. um, We are to to reflect that as well. Ephesians 2.8 and 9 tells us that by grace we are saved through faith. And that grace is extended to us by God. Um, And as his creation made in his likeness, we are meant to reflect that grace to others. Another way that we're meant to uh, reflect God's uh, image is we are meant to be holy creatures in word thought and deed because our lord has revealed himself as the holy one of israel of whom the angels cry holy 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 we look at first peter 1 15 through 16 uh, which is it's kind of is a cross-reference of leviticus eleven forty four, 44. Um, peter tells us that uh, but as he who called you is holy you also be holy in all your conduct since it is written you shall be holy for i am holy and the character of god's holiness is meant to be reflected in us as image bearers. Another one that that, that we see is that we are meant to be consistent creatures, not divided or hypocritical. Uh, In this way, we reflect God because the Lord, our God, is one. He is not divided. He is is also immutable. He doesn't change. Um, There's many ways that we are meant to reflect uh, the Lord. Um, What what are some ways ways that we didn't mention here, other ways that we might reflect the image of God? Anybody think of anything? Yes, ma'am. Kindness. What might that look like?
3: You know, it's that um, you're really, truly a kind human being. I think you've always got sensitivity to the other that. And -hmm. so it's it's a lack of self-centeredness. It's a
0: a thoughtfulness. It's empathy. It's Mm -hmm. it's all the good gooey stuff. All the good gooey stuff, is that you said? (laughs) Amen. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, sir.
3: Uh, conscious, you know, whether you're saved or not saved, everybody starts out with one, you know, effects of the fall and sin, so mm-hmm. of that and shape that in different ways. Um, but I think that's something unique that separates humans and reflecting
0: God. Just being conscious of those things that you're saying? Uh, having a conscious. Having a conscious, okay, yeah, yeah. Okay. What else? Yes, sir. Uh, we're made creative. Creative? Yeah. Some of us are. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. so <laughs> Amen. We're made creative. And where do we see that? How do we know that that's part of uh, God's character? creates well, I mean, well, everything. That's true. Yeah. That's good. Sorry, it was a softball, but thanks. I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, creative. I saw a hand over here. Yes, sir? Uh, we
3: should others that, us, that is God
0: us. Yeah. Absolutely forgiving, right? We see that God is a merciful God, right? He is, he's gracious and merciful and loving, right? Um, it's really easy for us to not be forgiving, right? Mm-hmm. And to hold a grudge and, and to, and to be, be hateful. Yes, sir? So I was just thinking in general about how you,
2: you talked about in Genesis 9-6 that, that, that man was made in the image of God, right? And one of the things that stood out to me is that despite the fact that man in his own self, all man in his own self has nothing, uh, that should warrant God's care and God's concern. Yet the very fact that He's engraved his image upon us, mm-hmm. even unsaved, unregenerate man, yeah. should cause us as believers to realize that we can't we can't wound somebody without wounding God himself. Amen. You know? And, yeah. and so I think if we had that doctrine much more fixed into our minds, yeah. we would be less hesitant to talk to
0: what we do, act what we do, yeah. out of our own self-interest. Yeah, yeah, amen. Yeah, absolutely, I 100% agree. I mean, just this, this doctrine literally pervades everything, right? It, it should, at least, inform how we interact with everyone, right? So, I mean, you talk about harming, Genesis 9, 6, you know, if man sheds blood by man, shall his blood be shed, because God made man in his own image, Right? but even more so, just so we're going to hear about this this morning. So Ben Robbins is going to preach about how we use our words and how often have we been hurt by the words of others? How often have our words hurt someone else, right? And I think if we consider people who, who are created in God's image as actually being created in His image, if we see a bit of, of God in them, uh, not, yeah, not like in a, not like in a weird new age spiritual way, right? But just that they reflect God. So for us to treat them in, in that way is to treat the Lord in that way. That's a good, that's a good one. These are all great, great ways that we, um, we uh, reflect God's character and his image to, to the world around us. Let's talk about now how we are made to represent God. So let's part, uh, or letter C under point two in your outline. We were made, man was made to represent God. And this speaks to more um, about what we do. And this idea comes straight from the creation account again it's it's helpful to think about how the original hearers would have heard this account Uh, the readers would have picked up on the the kingly echoes in genesis 1 and 2. Uh, back then it was common for a king to have a garden and uh, to put gardeners in charge of keeping the plot Uh, they were to work and to keep the garden for the king so the picture we are or we have here uh, in reading this is that god is the king and we are his royal gardeners we're to function as god's ambassadors his vice regents, his vassal lords. Um, and so in thinking about, about representing um, God and, and, and carrying out um, those kinds of functions, um, I want to ask a few questions. So at the end of chapter one, right, the scriptures tell us that God created man and, woman, man and woman in his image. But up until this point, what, what has God been doing? What's he been doing? making everything else, right? He's, he's been exercising authority, right? Think about it. How did God create all that he created? What did he do? He commanded it, just spoke it, and it happened, and there it was. We often like, run past that. Like, as I read it this morning, just kind of reading through the words, but the reality is that God spoke light Into existence. How do you wrap your mind around that? That he just spoke it and it happened. He commanded, he exercised authority over all things and made it happen, right? He's been exercising a governing mastery over the earth. And in the same way, mankind has been created to rule over the earth. Now, how is this carried out? We can go back to to Genesis chapter one and we see, firstly, the Lord directs the man and woman to subdue the earth. The word here literally means to bring into bondage or by force make it to serve you. So this verb tells us that man is to explore and harness the resources of the earth. Similarly, mankind is charged to exercise dominion. Uh, the word here is, it means to govern, to reign, or to dominate. God directs man and woman to exercise lordship over all three realms of the earth, sea, sky, and ground. And every creature within each realm and thirdly the way in the way that man rules we see that god gives him ownership and possession we see this in verse 29 where the lord says i have given you god here extends to man ownership and proprietorship over the vegetation of the earth psalm uh, psalm 8 verses 4 through 8 is a is a great place to go so someone would read that for us psalm 8 verses 4 through 8 um, these are the psalmist's meditation on these specific things that we just talked about. So whoever, whoever gets there first and would like to read that out loud for us, go for it. What is a human
3: being that you remember him? The kind of man, that you look after him. You made him little less than God and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all the sheep and oxen as well as the animals of the wild, the birds of the sky and the fish of the sea that pass through the
0: Amen. Thank you. Yeah, so it's important to note here that that our our proper relationship to nature is not simply that of ruling over it. Uh, When we go from Genesis 1 to 2, we find that Adam was given a specific task to perform, uh, to work, and to take care of the garden. One of the words here literally means to serve, and the other to preserve, protect, and care for. So it's only here that we get a correct perspective. Creation is not God, therefore we do not submit to creation. We rule it however we do so as stewards because it was given to us by God and what I think is really important for us to point out here is as we think about this this mandate to subdue the earth and to rule over it and to exercise dominion over it we're to do that while reflecting the character and image of God so we ask the question what does that look like for God to exercise dominion over something now certainly we could look look through history and we could see examples of of rulers or or kings or or, or what have you that have exercised um, have exercised bad leadership and, and utter dominion, crushing the people under the under under whom they have authority. Right? That is not in keeping with the way the Lord has called us to steward his creation, right? So what might that look like? Uh, Let's think about that in in terms of, of where we are here. So if you're a parent, okay, your children should look at you and see in living color the way that God uses His authority in love and for our good, okay? Parents use their authority to cultivate the soil of their children in such a way as to help them grow up in the fear and instruction of the Lord, and the way in which you wield that authority should be firmly, graciously, and lovingly toward that end, right? So we, we could all point out examples of how that goes wrong, right? And as we as we read in Genesis chapter 3, sin enters into the world, and, and what God intended uh, has been marred by sin, um, and, and we don't see that all the time. But as, as we look at how we are supposed to represent the Lord, all right, there's a way in which we're supposed to do it, a way we're supposed to um, yeah, to, to do that in a, in a, gracious and, and, and loving stewardship. What about our occupations where we work, right? We can still find delight in cultivating and subduing the earth for the good of others and the glory of God. Uh, the sciences, art, technology, and, and all other manners of, of work that we do, uh, they're all gifts from God and for God. And so whether you lead by virtue of the office that you've been given, or whether you lead by example, um, yeah, you can and, and should do that in a way that gives the watching world a glimpse into how the God of the universe wields his authority. Um, especially in, in this in this area in which we live, it's very political, there's a lot of folks who are in public office. Uh, we could even say, um, you know, people who are created in God's image meant to represent God, who, who have the opportunity to serve in offices like that, um, carry an even greater stewardship in that the scope is, is larger. But um, that's another example that that we might cite. What are some other ways, other examples that, that we that we represent God? In, in leadership.
3: Mm-hmm. Sure. I, I think the world assumes leadership is kind of domineering, and I mm-hmm. think Christians lean gently, mm-hmm. and and um, I just think it's a very different kind of
0: leadership. Yeah. Amen. Yes. Uh,
2: perhaps in, in the way we steward resources, or how I we mean, think about resources—whether we are stewarding them, or we own them and they're ours and, and we do whatever we want with them—versus, hey, you know, God has allowed. Whether it's money, whether
3: it's mm-hmm. time,
0: whether it's you know, filling the blank. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Those are good. Um, the leadership point—I'll I'll bring up a good story. Um, so. Once upon a time, I was, in the, I was in the Air Force. I worked for a colonel who, um, who gave this, this talk one day, and he said, you know, when somebody comes to him and says, hey, I have a problem with something you've done, he said, you know, I always assume, I always assume that I was wrong. just to start off with, um, I was wrong here. And, um, and what that does is, he said, it allows me the opportunity to sit down with this person and kind of hear, hear what they're talking about, what their issue is, and we work through that. Um, it's really easy to get defensive as a leader when somebody comes to you to criticize a decision that you've made. But when, when, you're, when you're willing to sit down and show them grace, right, um, and hear them out, he said, even if I was right, on the one hand, at the very least, this person knows that they can come to me with an issue, and, and I'm going to hear them out. Um, and, and if I was wrong, uh, you know, I've learned something about myself that, hey, I'm gonna, I can fix that. And... And we can go forward in a much better way. And I've learned that there's somebody out there in my organization that I can trust. And so when I have questions about something like that, maybe I'm going to go to them and say, hey, listen, you had a really smart idea. I'm going to come to you and ask you about that. Um, and when I, when I heard that, one of the things that I thought about was like, you know, how often, how often do we not approach the Lord because we don't think He's going to listen to us, right? Um, and so that was, a, that was a good way of representing the Lord to me and, and showing me like oh you know what yeah i should go to god when i when i face these issues i should bring these concerns to him if i have if i'm troubled if if something is is if i'm under some kind of suffering and and i want to i want to i want to be open about that i can take that to the lord the lord is is kind with me he's loving with me he's merciful with me and so i 100% agree like just the ways that we we steward our resources the way that we interact with people that that maybe we lead and even if you're not in a position of leadership Maybe in your occupation, um, you, you, know, you have a team that you're on. The way that you treat other people, uh, the way that you represent the Lord um, is, gonna, is, is, is extremely important. Extremely important. So, it, you know, it's really in this story and context of man created in the image of God that we start to see sin for the evil that it is. Right. So all the examples that we've talked about are, are examples of what things should be right? What things should be like, how we ought to steward uh, the responsibilities that God has given us, right? But the reality is that we see that, that sin has changed that, right? And so we should begin to see sin for the evil that it is. And what makes sin so serious is precisely the fact that man decides to use God-given and God-imaging powers to lie about his maker, right? The very greatness of man's sin consists in the fact that we were made to be image bearers of God. And what makes our sin so heinous is that we are prostituting such splendid gifts. The corruption of that which is best now becomes worse. Um, God gives us extraordinarily marvelous gifts, and yet we refuse to give thanks and rather give him glory, rather than give him glory. And we seek to steal glory from God for ourselves. And so, uh, it's into this pitiful scenario that we see the man, Christ Jesus, come, the image of God, uh, par excellence, the glory of God revealed in the face of Jesus Christ. So if, you, if you're following on your outline, we're at the redemption of the image of God, point three. Um, and we'll first start looking at Christ, the image of God. If someone could read for us Colossians 1.15, that'd be really helpful. He is the image of the invisible God. The image. So, if, as we as we consider um, what the image of God in man should look like, to whom should we look? Can I ask a question? About that? You may ask me a question. He is the image of the invisible God. That is a really, really good question. Um, yeah. So as, when I, whenever I read Colossians 1, I can't help but think of John chapter 1, right? I think those are really good places to go. Um, John 1.14 says this, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Um, and then down to, to end of verse 18, no one has ever seen God, the invisible God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. So this passage tells us that that. Though we do not see God, God is spirit. The second person of the Trinity, Jesus, the God-man incarnate, has given us a a tangible, visible image of the invisible God that we serve. Very good, very good, very good question. Um, Yeah, so we we see that, that the image of God is most perfectly seen in man through the person of Jesus Christ. Yeah, when we look at Jesus, we... As marred image bearers realize that there's a twofold strangeness about him. On the one hand, there's the strangeness of his deity. No other human had the authority to forgive sins. And no one even conceived of saying, before Abraham was, I am. Yet this is truly who Jesus is. Uh, and, and when Jesus said that, people lost their minds. Like they flipped out because they thought he was, what was he doing? What did they believe that he was doing? He was blaspheming, right. Why did they think he was blaspheming? <sighs> he said he was God, right? right? Nobody said that but Jesus, right? But because he was God. John 1.18, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side has made him known. He's God. There's also the strangeness of his humanity. So though genuinely human, he is unique in his humanity, His humanity is not like our humanity. His humanity is totally sinless. His obedience to the Father is perfect. His prayer life is unexcelled. His love for people is incalculable. And when we realize that this strangeness makes us ashamed because it tells us what we all should be like. Again, there's that tension, right? God created us in his image. And in the beginning, all things were very good. But as sin entered the world, things changed. And so we see in in Jesus this image of God uh, that that we should be like, but we're not because of sin. And then as Jesus walked the earth, he was wholly directed toward God, as we should be. Uh, At the beginning of his ministry, though tempted by the devil, Jesus resisted temptation in obedience to the Father. Um, Even in his hunger and weariness, Jesus declared, My food is to do the will of him who sent me, and to accomplish his work, John 4.34. Right, and that, that context of that is they're they're passing through Samaria, and and Jesus is is, is there, and the disciples are like, hey, we have no food, uh, we should go get food, and they go get food, and they come back to him, and they're like, where's your food, and and Jesus says, well, my food is is not, it's not Jimmy John's, it's it's the will of him who sent me, right, um, I've not had Jimmy John's, I hear it's good though, uh, anyhow, and I don't think they had it in Samaria either. But the point is that that Jesus said that my food is to do the will of him who sent me to accomplish his work. He was wholly devoted to God. And in the most difficult act of obedience in Matthew 26, 39, he prayed, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus knew exactly what he was going to do. He knew what was going to happen in those moments that followed. He did not want to endure that necessarily, but what he desired more than that was to do the Father's will. He was more committed to the Lord. He was more committed to the Father. Yet we also see that in Jesus' humanity, um, it is beautifully animated and being wholly directed toward the neighbor. When people came to him in need, whether that need was for healing, food, or forgiveness, he was always ready to help them. When tired out from, walk, from a walking tour, Jesus was resting at a well. He was willing to forget his own fatigue to minister to that Samaritan woman. Once Jesus indicated what is the greatest love one can show for another, he said, greater love is no one than this. Then he laid down his life for his friends. We find that in John 15, 13. And then after telling us this, he modeled it perfectly. He laid down his life to make his enemies his friends. And also we see the way Christ ruled over nature. Certainly his ruling over nature was unique because of his deity. However, we do learn from Christ's life and rulership over nature that this is an essential aspect of functioning as a representative in the image of God, one that we must now find our own ways of implementing this. And so it's through this man, Jesus, that God has called out a people for himself, and he has called them out to make them new and to redeem the image of God in us. So it takes us to, to point B, uh, putting on Christ. Before we do that, anyone have any questions about, about that right there? The image of God, uh, Christ, the image of God, anything at all? Any questions, comments? Just want to make sure we have some space for that. Okay. All right, so the renewal of the image of God is described in the New Testament in, in various ways, and... Um, A couple of these ways are found in in several passages listed here. Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. Can I get a volunteer to read that for me? Yes, sir. Joey, go ahead.
3: To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through um, deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness.
0: Amen. Yeah, so the renewal of the image of God in man is seen as an act of putting off and putting on. According to Paul, by way of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uh, to put on Christ is to put on the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So what he's saying here is that in Christ, the image of God is perfect. It is unmarred by sin, presented to the world in perfection. Uh, Another New Testament passage which uh, helps us to understand the renewal of the image of God in man is in Galatians 3.27. We have a volunteer who'd like to read that for us. Yes, ma'am. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Amen. Yeah. So here the Apostle Paul more explicitly describes believers as having put on Christ. That is, it has already been done for... Anyone who is in Christ. So to put on Christ means new existence as a member of Christ's body. Yeah, you see that there. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, so we're becoming a member of Christ's body. Uh, the believer then images God as one who belongs to the body of Christ, who is uniquely God's image. And as we put on Christ, we are now part of his body. Now, this suggests that the renewal of the image has a church aspect. It does not concern uh, individuals in isolation; rather, it has to do with believers as members of Christ. And so that's where we go to point C there: uh, the the church as the image of God. So what this means is that the image of God today is seen in his richest form in the church as the body of Christ, and that the restoration of the image of God in man takes place in the church right here uh, through the fellowship of Christians with each other. So we learn what Christ-likeness is by observing it in fellow Christians. Uh, we've heard it before here that there's no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. Uh, the Christian life is not meant to be lived out in solitude, in a cave, on an island somewhere. Um, it is meant to be lived out in community with other believers. Um, yeah, and we see the love of Christ reflected in the lives of our fellow believers. Uh, we're enriched by Christ through our contact with them. We hear Christ speaking to us through them by his word. Um, believers are inspired by the examples of their fellow brothers and sisters, uh, sustained by their prayers, corrected by their loving admonitions, and encouraged by their support. All of this happens in the context of the local church. It happens in community with one another. As you think about those kinds of things, consider how that might look if you try to live the Christian life in isolation. Now, that's not to say that there aren't edge cases where people are Christians and are isolated. That's that can be true, but the reality is uh, we are meant to be encouraged by others. We are meant to be prayed for by others and to pray for others and to encourage others. And that is meant to happen in the context of the local church. It's in this body that God is making his people human again, a new race of people for his own possession. Consider our own church covenant, Right? Um, Each section of the covenant begins with the words, we will, as we affirm this covenant when we join and as we reaffirm this covenant uh, periodically. um, Yeah, we are committing to one another to be image bearers together um, as one body, more fully and richly presenting the reflection of God to our community. And not only are we saying that we're going to be image bearers together, but we're going to help one another to more accurately reflect the image of God as they live out their lives walking with Christ. Now, we can and we must reflect the image of God as individuals, but as the body of Christ, we do so all the more. Any questions on any of that? Yes, sir.
3: So I have a question as um, why the church? Um, you know, so when we see that the, the previous points, A and B, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but now we have this idea that it's the collection of people it's the church. Yeah. So why did, you know we have the perfect model um, in mm-hmm. Jesus, and now now it's a, a, a multitude of people. Yeah. And does that connect with the Old Testament, with the same with Israel? Yeah. Or or is it still then seen from there as an individual in a relationship of God the Father? Yeah. Does that make
0: sense? It does. Yeah. So I would say that, you know, Christ more uh, perfectly reflects the image of God in man in a way that we don't. Right. Um, But I would also say that, you know, uh, you know, when God created man, he he said, um, it's not good that man should be alone. Uh, I think if we think about how our God is one God eternally existent in three persons, God had perfect community in and of himself. Right. Um, and when he creates mankind, he doesn't create man alone. He created man to have someone else there as well. And so we see this community aspect of, of how we are to live out life. And in community, I think we more accurately reflect who God is. Um, I don't know if that answers your question much. Hold on. Pause, Jerry. Joey, did you have anything else on that? No. Is that helpful at all? You can say no if it's not. If it's mildly helpful. It's about a medium helpful. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's medium helpful.
1: <laughs>
0: thank you, Joey. I thank you for keeping me honest. Jerry, you had your question up. Uh, I mean, he had her hand up for a question. Yeah. yeah I'm going to follow up on what yeah. you said. So, like, I think you hit it, for, I think you're
2: absolutely right. I think, you know, if you look back to kind of pre-Paul, yeah. right, that God created humans in the image of God, yeah. right? And in a perfect image, and made us as image bearers to multiply and kill the earth. hmm the entire earth Mm -hmm. and so you know you think about kind of jesus being the firstborn among many brothers and sisters Mm -hmm. like he is that kind of perfect second adam like fulfilling what it should have been looked like and then we are you know all eventually going to look more like that perfect right yeah yeah you know in a sense i kind of think of it like um like crystal
3: Mm.
0: right
2: Mm. And it looks really,
0: really awesome, right? That's a really good so, analogy.
2: You know, I think, in a sense, like, you know, even to the extent that individually we are very imperfect in the way that we're, you know, dirty, miscolored, law of crystal, right? That um, the church at large, like, immemorial, right, so span across
3: time, mm-hmm. span across globe, right,
2: is, uh, that, that's the bride. That, mm-hmm. That's kind of the more.
0: Yeah. That's good. Thanks, Jerry. Did that move medium helpful up a little bit? Yeah it did. It did. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, Jerry. The two of us combined can come up with a really great answer. Appreciate that. That's good. Anything else on that? Karen, you had go ahead.
3: Yeah. Like I would never be able to. If I were in isolation, I would just persist in my own sin. But mm. you know, either volitionally or or not knowing. And yeah. Getting stuck in a body, you get to see the parts of yourself that are reflected around you,
0: so that you can grow. Yeah. So it's super helpful to see Christians. Yeah. Living out their life. Amen. Well, I would even I would even go so far as to say not only helpful but essential. Yeah. Right. So if, if we are, if, it is essential to our sanctification to be a part of a body of Christ. Like that's one key reason, right? So that, that we're not just trying to figure it out on our own, trying to find those blind spots on our own. Maybe, like you said, our heart's deceitfully wicked above all things who can know it. Maybe I don't want to know my blind spots. Maybe I don't want to change. Like I don't want anybody pointing that out. But you know what? If we are to be holy as God is holy, Right? Then, then we need people to point that out for us and help us on that way. It's good, It's good. Um, let's keep moving. Um, letter D, the consummation of the image. Romans 8, 29. We'll get to that in a second. But um, So this community that we're a part of, um, being a part of the local body of, of Christ, being the members of Christ's body, we're also a waiting community, one that longs for the day when Jesus will return and perfect our imaging abilities of him. So Romans 8, 29 tells us that for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so, that it, so in, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And so what Paul implies here that, that we are to be totally conformed into the image of his Son. And the likeness of God's Son is nothing less than the perfected image of God. Um, there's a quote by... Um, a former professor of systematic theology at Calvin College, uh, Anthony Hokema. He said, In order to see the Christian view of man and its total brilliance, therefore, we must not just go back to man as he was originally created. Rather, we must go forward to man as he will one day be. We must see man in the light of his final destiny. Christ, through his redemptive work, brings us higher than Adam was before the fall. Adam could still lose his sinlessness and blessedness, but the glorified saints will no longer be able to do so. How many of you have ever thought about that? And one day, one day we'll stand before the Lord, and we'll be in a place where we don't ever have to worry about losing our sinlessness. Right, so if you struggle with sin today, what a joy it is to know that one day that will never be a thing. Amen. The thought that our brothers and sisters in Christ are on their way to ultimate perfection should help us to think of them not just as poor, stumbling, miserable sinners who have all these irritating faults, because we all have irritating faults, but rather as those who shall someday shine as the sun. Again, that goes back to what we talked about earlier, about considering the image of God in man in others and and seeing them not only as sinners, but those who will one day be perfected in glory. In the life to come, all of God's people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, resurrected and glorified, will reign in the new earth with all the God-reflecting gifts that have been given to them. And all these gifts, now completely purged of sin and imperfection, will be used by man for the first time in a perfect way. Then throughout eternity, God will be glorified by the worship and service and praise of His image bearers in a brilliant and totally flawless reflection of his own marvelous nature. And the purpose for which he created mankind will have been accomplished. So brothers and sisters, that's, that's what it means to consider being created in the image of God and to long for the day when that image will be made completely perfect. Any final questions? Comments? Okay. Jason, I know you had some stuff you wanted to share. Do you still want to do that? Oh, man. Uh, You've got two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so real quick, so I think Jason has some resources, some resources you wanted to share. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's it. That's what I wanted to do. Okay. <laughs> um,
4: no, well, here I'm we going I think um, just... Um, if you've been in class over the last several weeks, um, we have a number of classes where we've gotten into talking about uh, creation, evolution, younger, older, uh, we've kind of gotten into uh, that, that conversation a number of times. Um, I just wanted to, to, to make sure, um, as we know, we don't have a stance on that as a part of being a member of this church where we don't have... You know, hey, this, is a, this is an older church, this is a younger church. Um, if you don't know what any of this means and you are here, Lord bless you.
3: Just continue <laughs> on in peace. Um,
4: but, uh, but we do want to make sure, just because I, I don't know if this uh, completely came up in, in the other classes, if, if uh, there, there are some really good resources that, that I, I think we failed to, to mention in those classes for kind of a young earth perspective, so I just wanted to mention a few. Uh, one that was really helpful uh, for me is uh, uh, Nancy Piercy's, uh Total Truth. I have it up in my office if you're going to borrow it. I think I have a couple copies of it. Uh, Total Truth by Nancy Piercy. Um Really, really helpful um, uh, to help think about uh, some of the things we've talked about with, with evolution micro macro. Uh, Darwin's Doubt by Stephen Meyer. And his last name is M-E-Y-E-R. Darwin's Doubt by Stephen Meyer. Um, Darwin's Black Box by Michael Behe. Darwin's Black Box by Michael Behe. And then another one, uh, Darwin Devolves. Darwin Devolves, that's also by Michael Behe. So I just wanted to, 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 to throw those out there as some, some helpful resources if this is something that, that as we've uh, discussed this a little bit, maybe it was a little unsettling or rattling uh, to think through that a little bit, to, to, to at least put some good resources in front of you to help think through. Uh, some of these things so that was that was it we yep. talked earlier at, uh, at elders meeting the other day and I was like hey, if it comes up again it would yeah. be good to recommend some of these resources um, and if it didn't come up well I'd like to get up and, and kind of give a little yeah. commercial for that so it's cool. yeah thanks Ex- for that. yep well that's it you've already prayed have I did you did you not pray
0: not at the end you should pray I should sure. so let's pray Father we thank you uh, for your word, we thank you that, uh, that we can go to it and we can know it and that your word has answers. Father, we thank you you've not left us to, to grope along blindly through this world, but um, that you have given us truth that we might cling to. And Father, we thank you for um, yeah, just the, the revelation that we are created in your image. And, and while we don't accurately reflect that now, Lord, we know that there is coming a day for those who are in Christ where we will stand before you. And that image will be made perfect, and we will worship you perfectly. And so, Father, we we long for that day. Help us to long for that day. Lord, as we prepare to go and to hear from your word yet again, we pray that you would soften our hearts to hear your word, that we might be changed by it, and that we might not leave this place the same as when we showed up, but that we might be better equipped and better encouraged to, to image God to the world around us. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.